Well, so glad all of you are here. And I know the Lord is glad we're all here because <laughs> he likes us and he's always happy to hang out with us. And that's most, most wonderful. You know, it's, it's on my heart to, to share some thoughts with you about the, the message of the gospel. You know, we hear the word gospel, we hear the word message, but we need to refresh our memory and refocus on what is the message of the gospel. Now, we, I'm sure, probably all know the word gospel quite simply means good news. But what's so good about this news? Because we hear a lot of news nowadays, and most of it, i got to admit, is not so good. <laughs> and that's why we most surely need and must have and must remind ourselves of the truly good news. Because when we are embracing the good news, then it washes away all this bad news. It doesn't, it, it's not that we are in denial of the existence of the bad news, but now the bad news doesn't sound so bad because the good news overshadows it. And so that's why I'm wanting to, to, to refocus on this whole idea of the message of the gospel. Because God has good news for us, and it's always available to us. So in the midst of every bit of bad news you get, whether it's on the television set, through your radio, or perhaps through a doctor, or through maybe your financial advisor, or somebody somewhere has to report to you, I've got bad news for you. But in the midst of that bad news, still shouts loud and clear, from the Lord, but I have the good news. And the good news of God will lift you up in spite of all the bad news that's there to pull you down and tear you down. Let's pray. Lord, praise you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you, Father, that we gather here today because we have tasted of the truly good news. And Lord, we want to drink deep and draw from the depths of the good news of your presence, of your power, of your life. Yes, of your life, Lord Jesus. Oh Lord, we thank you that we have been privileged this day to worship you in spirit and in truth. Not just from our head, but from our heart. Not just with the words of our mouth, but Lord, by our total being. And we thank you, Lord, that we've done that because your presence is here. And Lord, we thank you for your presence. You're not a God far removed from us. You're not a God in some book somewhere, but you are alive and here and now. And more importantly, you're a God for me. You're a God for each one of us in this room. You've come to be our God and you've made it possible through that wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Holy Spirit, lead, guide, do your work as only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So our doorbell ring was ringing one day a few weeks ago, and I listened in because we have one of those fancy things, you know, and so uh, it's got a camera, and, <laughs> and Lou was at the front door answering this person who had come, and the person was holding some things in their hand and said, I've got something for you. And she says, oh, and so he makes an offer, and uh, he was of a particular religious belief, and so he began to tell her his, his version. And she said, well, I have something for you. But he didn't really want what she was offering. He said, no, we're not allowed to take any of that. She said, well, 
what would you take? He said, well, if you had a Bible verse, I'd listen. So Luke gave her some scripture. And uh, one of the scriptures she gave him was the one I will conclude with, Lord willing, 1 John 4, 17. As Christ is, so are we in this world. He goes, huh? What's that? He had never heard. And yet he claimed to be there to teach and share with her about the Bible, which he said he wanted to hear, but had never, apparently ever, really heard. Now that's the real issue. We hear words, but have we really heard? Have we heard in our heart, by our spirit, have we heard those true words of life that come from Christ himself? So he's, he's talking to her, and, and finally he left. And so she and I were talking later, and I said, well... That was a great scripture because, of course, that's my favorite scripture because that's the one that turned my life around. But I said there's another scripture I think that maybe would be simple that summarizes the gospel. And so as we talked about that, I began to think about coming here. And I thought, hey, this should be the message for today. And so what we concluded was the, the message of the gospel can be summed up as the Apostle Paul did for us in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Now most of you probably memorize that, but I like to look at it, and I mean really look at it. So I've been reading and reading and rereading Galatians 2.20. So let's revisit that together. Now, what we have here, and actually it starts with verse 19, which I may get back to, but Paul has been talking and explaining about the person of Christ, about God's grace, about what God did for us through Christ with his death, burial, and resurrection. So he's been telling some things like that and exhorting the people in the church of Galatia, this is the message. But then he comes back and says, now look, let me just summarize it this way. Let me tell you about myself. I've told you about God, told you about Christ, told you about the cross and God's grace. But now let me just tell you what the gospel means to me. What this message has done for me. And then he begins to declare, I am crucified with Christ. He says, man, it's a done deal. I died with Christ. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And then he adds, and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow, that says it all. That summarizes the gospel. Because the gospel, as Paul would tell us in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, the gospel is Christ died on the cross, was crucified for our sins. Then he was buried. But then he was raised from the dead and now has been seen by many witnesses. And of course, we who know Christ as our Lord and Savior have personally experienced this living Christ. So Paul has explained the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. And then in Romans chapter 1 and verse 8, he says the gospel, in fact, is the power of God unto salvation. And then he qualifies to everyone who believes. It's available to all, but we must believe. And what happens when we believe? He calls it salvation, which means he rescues us from the mess we were in. He saves us from being slaves of the devil. He liberates us from that dominion of Satan where we had an evil nature. Man, he removes that garbage off of us and all the sin and fault and failure of our past, gone, wiped out, removed. 
Man, that is some good news. Oh, my, is that ever good news? Because I have been tormented, I got to say, in my past, even after having met Christ for 10 years there, I was tormented by the memories of some of the things that I had said and done or that had been done to me. That's equally as bad, you know. When people come down on you and do things against you and hurt you and say hateful things toward you and falsely accuse you, wow, it hurts. It's deep hurt. But there's healing at the cross. There's deliverance through Christ. Yes. And so Paul is talking about how the gospel is the power, and that's what we're in need of here. We need power. We need the power of God. So I was traveling in Hong Kong way back before the coronavirus, <laughs> way back. And this would maybe be around 80, 84, 85. And I was on a layover moving from the Philippines to Indonesia. And I was there in the airport. And for some reason, we had to go somewhere else. I think I was, I don't know where. But so I had to get on a bus one of the local buses. So I was standing in line waiting for the bus and this businessman was standing beside me and he said, the bus is running late. That's kind of unusual. I don't have time to wait. He said, I got business to do and it's time to go. He said, come on, let's go. And I said, what? He said, just come on with me. And he grabbed my suitcase and off he went. And, and so I'm following him because, you know, he's got my suitcase and <laughs> kind of a captive audience on the other side. But hey, and then I realized, yes, captive audience, the Lord has something to say to this man. We had had a short conversation prior to that. And undoubtedly, the Holy Spirit had captured his heart. And he was drawn to me and wanted to have more from me. So we walked down the sidewalk to a taxi. And he said, here, let's take this. It'll be quicker. Where are you going? And, and he told the taxi where I was supposed to go. And then he told him where he was going to go. And I said, well, I don't know if I have enough money for a taxi. He said, don't worry. I got you covered. This, of course, is the uh, America-Georgian version of the conversation. <laughs> he said it a little different. But so, okay. So we're going to take the taxi. And so we got in. And he said, I like being with you. I said, good, I like being with you. And thanks for the ride, as a matter of fact. You know? <laughs> and I didn't have a clue. Because you see, he told them in Chinese where we were supposed to go. And now you got to walk by faith. If you're on the mission field, you definitely have no choice. So <laughs> I'm believing God. He's taking me to some good place and not some place where he and his guys are going to rob me. See, so that's where I'm believing. So, and of course, I'm confident this is a divine appointment. So we travel along there. And he starts saying... He said, business is going good. And so we were talking about his business, and he's explaining how he, he owns this factory, and they manufacture clothing for men, suits and things. And he said, but he said, boy, he said, I don't know what to do about my family. And he says, it's my wife and kids. He said, when I'm in, at work, he said, I'm the boss. I'm in charge. I tell people what to do. I mean, they do it. He said, when I go home, huh, it's not that way. My wife, my kids, I try to tell them something, they don't do it. You know, I try to explain something to them, they don't want to listen. It's like, he said, man, I, I got problems at home. I've got problems at home. And he said, I don't know what to do. He said, I need power. I need power. Now I knew. I said, yes, you do need power. I said, power is the only thing that's going to change you and change your family and change the relationship you have at home. He said, well, but I, I'm trying to get this power, but I don't know where to get it. I said, well, that's why you're with me. Because today I'm going to tell you the source of power so that you 
will know how to enjoy your family and they can enjoy you. So right now I said, you don't really enjoy this, do you? He said, no, I really don't. I said, but you could. He said, well, where is this power? I said, well, the power comes from God. And he said, well, you know, I know about God, but what are you talking about? I said, well, God's son, Jesus Christ, came and lived on this earth to show us how powerful God really is and what a difference he can do in our lives. And he said, huh? He said, tell me more. So I began to explain to him how the source of God's power is in God's spirit because I said God is spirit. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had the Spirit of God in him because he was God in the flesh. And so, as I explained, the Spirit of God began to work in his life. And when we got to our destination, he stopped and we just sat there. And he told the guy to wait. And then he realized, this is what I want. And I said, well, it's a gift and you can receive it by faith. You just ask the Lord Jesus Christ come inside of you and change your life. And through the cross of Christ, he has put to death your old life and now he is here to give you a new life. His life. And he said, that's what I want. And so he bowed his head in the back of this, of this taxi and he prayed that prayer and gave his life to Christ. And as he left, he said, I now have power, but I also have life. This is the power of the gospel. This is the life-changing power that comes to us through Jesus Christ the Lord. He makes a difference. We don't have to try to force it down someone's throat. We have the privilege of just walking through the earth and we are light and we are salt. And if we will but let Christ live his life through us, they will see the difference Christ makes. They will know there's something different and the difference is Christ. The living Christ, who by His Spirit indwells us to empower us, to equip us, to enable us to live this life. So let's revisit now the message of the Gospel. Galatians chapter 2. So Paul begins by simply talking about himself. Not in a selfish way, but as a personal testimony. First-hand report. Hey, I've told you what God's Word said. I've told you what the Spirit has given me to share with you about God, about Christ, about the cross, about God's grace. Now let me tell you about my life and the difference Christ made in me. And then he just begins to unfold this very simple, concise summary of the message of the gospel. And so what does he say? I am crucified with Christ. First thing, essential thing. We've all had the thought at some time or other. Sometimes we have it often, and certainly some of us may have it today. It's a thought like, I wish I could just go back and change my life. I wish I could just have a do-over, you know? At least this one area, or that one thing, or that one relationship. I wished I could just have a change. I wished it could just be different now. But that's what the cross offers to begin again, a fresh start. And that's why the psalmist would say, Lord, your mercy is new every morning. See, we, we deserve all the garbage we get in this world. Everybody says we deserve good stuff. Hey, life is, well, as some guy put on a bumper sticker, life is hell, and then you die. <laughs> and it feels like hell. And in a sense, apart from Christ and his presence and power in us, we are in a living hell. And it gets worse. If you want some really bad news, let me tell you, it can only get worse. 
You think it's bad now? It can only get worse apart from Christ. But you bring Christ into the picture, you bring Christ into your life, and suddenly everything changes because He changes everything. He changes everything. So let's think about it. Yeah, we would like a do-over. We want a new beginning. And every day and every morning can be a fresh start. But there can be a point in time where we make that radical and dramatic change and ask Jesus to come into us and change it from the inside out. Now often, as in my case, it took me 10 years to figure out what I got when I got Christ. It took me 10 years to grasp what had happened to me when I received Christ. I knew Christ came into my life, knew my sins were forgiven, and certainly was assured of heaven when I died. But somehow, even though I knew those things, there were times, and sometimes often, that I had my doubts. Am I really forgiven? Because I was being tormented by the thoughts of my terrible things in my past. And so, every time some really, really bad thing happened, Boy, the accuser of the brethren showed up. And here's what he would say, that old serpent, the devil. You remember way back when you did that terrible thing. Oh, yeah, I do remember. Well, this is God. This is payback. This is payback. <laughs> now you're getting what you deserve. Now the bad stuff is happening. It's not, and so you wonder in life. Not just if something bad is going to happen, but when. Because down deep inside, you know you've made a mess of things. And you deserve whatever bad can possibly happen to you. So the old devil, he plays on that kind of a lie. And it is a lie, I assure you. It is a lie. So, of course, I wanted a do-over. And then finally, after 10 years, it suddenly dawned on me, he already did it. I love what Paul says in Romans 7, 24. He's talking there and he says, Oh, wretched man. Well, I'm a mess, he says. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? He says, man, my only hope is deliverance. I need somebody to come to my rescue and pull me out of this cesspool I find myself in. I'm a walking dead man. I mean, I really am, he says. And, and he says, I don't see any way out. But I need somebody. It's got to be somebody who will do it. And then all of a sudden, by the Spirit, it dawns on him. Oh, wait a minute. I know who. It's Christ. And he already has. It's not something he's going to do future. But he's something he's already done, past tense, at the cross. And the moment I say I do to, I do to Christ, he comes in. To bring to me that deliverance. To bring to me that new life resulting in a new beginning. A do-over. So like 10 years later, I finally woke up and realized what I got when I got Christ. I got new life. So now I know why I have assurance about heaven when I die. Because Galatians 2.20 became crystal clear to me. That's called revelation. God's Spirit opens your eyes and suddenly you see what you only heard with the hearing of the ear, but now you know it. You see what the Word says, but more importantly, in your spirit you know it's not something that someday I hope maybe will happen to me. It has happened to me, to my life. So when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, he's talking about some big stuff. Let's don't just gloss over it. Let's take a pause and think about the cross. He's bringing us back to the cross. He's saying to you and I, when Christ died on that cross, you and I died with him. For Christ died as us. He became us. Now, wow. The perfect, spotless Son of God who knew no sin. And yet he chose to willingly lay down his life to give it up 
to die for us. So that which we were in our old life in Adam and that which we have achieved and accomplishments of our life, good and bad from the natural realm, but he wrapped all that up into himself and became you on that cross. And everything that you were, and in fact will continue to be, he put all that together on himself and died as us. We talk about 10,000 reasons, and he, David talks about these 10,000 years. And, but think about all the millions of people, then suddenly they're the whole hellish, corrupt, disgust of all the things of all the people of the world come crashing down on Jesus at one point in time. Bam! Why, I, 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 I can say I don't really relish the thought of even going back in my mind to what I did or what happened to me in my past. Much less what I want to relive it. But Jesus said, hey, I'm not, not only going to come and die physically, I'm going to relive every wretched moment of your past in an instant on the cross. And I'm going to become you. I'm going to take all of your life and all of, of the things that have happened to you and things you've done. I'm going to take that upon myself. And I'm going to take your place by becoming you on that cross. And when I die, it'll be you dying. So think about the face of our Lord Jesus on that cross. And look at it real close. Because that's you. See your face? That's you. It's his body, but that's you. He became you. You died with Christ. So everything you've tried to change, compensate for, make up for, escape from, deny, ignore, justify, it, it's all there on Christ. You don't have to carry the weight of the burden of the guilt and all the garbage of all that any longer. Now I'm telling you, it took me 10 years, and I don't know where you are in your walk, but I'm saying today, it's not you anymore. It's not you anymore. I am crucified with Christ. Happened at a point of time, history passed, but present tense true about you now. Paul is saying, I died with him. I am dead in him and I'm dead to sin. I'm freed from sin and it's not me anymore. I'm not under Satan's dominion. I don't have an evil nature. I'm not a slave of the devil. I'm a child of the king. I am royalty. <laughs> I'm a saint, not a sinner. Wow, this is me. Not by works of righteousness that I've done, oh no, but by the righteous one and his good and perfect work as he lived on this earth, as he died on the cross and wonderfully rose from the dead that I might be raised with him to walk in new life. This is what the message of the gospel is all about. I am crucified with Christ. Yeah, died. I am. And yet he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, I live. Whoa, wait a minute. I thought I died. Yes, oh yes. The old person I was in Adam with all the old junk that I wanted to get rid of and tried to compensate for. It, yeah, but that person is not me anymore. Amen. Nevertheless, I live. I am living. Now I'm really living, not just existing, which is what I had in Adam. I just had a mere physical existence. Breathing air, eating food, enjoying the pleasures of this life, but not really living because apart from Christ, you cannot truly live. You have physical life, but not spirit life. And God's life is spirit life. And God's life is revolutionary. It transforms, changes, and completely renews and restores. Nevertheless, he says, I do live. 
But then just to be sure nobody got confused about what he's saying, he says, nevertheless I live. But yet, he says, it's not I. That is, the old I, old person I was in Adam, no, it's, that's not me. <laughs> he said, no, that person's dead, buried, gone. R.I.P. Rest in peace. Good riddance, shall we say. Good riddance. I don't have to carry that baggage anymore. Don't have to beat myself up about it anymore. You know, I, there was an American Indian years ago that I ministered with up in, uh, in Kansas. And so he and I were talking after the session, and we had prayed together some, and he said, but one thing bothers me. I said, what's that? He said, I have these, all these memories of my past. And I said, well, why does that bother you? I said, we just saw that you were crucified with Christ. He said, yeah, but it reminds me of my past. Yes, but remember, that's not you anymore. That's just a memory. It's just a fact of your history past. But it's not you, because you have a new life with a new history. Your history now is in Christ, and you have a new future. Your future is now in Christ. So all that was was what you were in your old life, according to your old ways. But all that's changed. He said, but what about the memory? I said, the memory is now a good thing. He said, how can this be? Because the memory reminds you of God's goodness and mercy to you personally. It reminds you of the difference Christ made in you personally. It reminds you of the amazing power of God exhibited and shown and demonstrated and made available to you through the cross. That's what it does. Hmm, he said. Well, then, the memories are good, huh? He said, so I don't have to be afraid of the memories. I said, no, because it's only a memory. It's only a memory. And when you remember that, it should cause you to exalt him, to thank him, and to praise him for the difference Christ has made in you and for the cross and how you're now dead to all that and free from all that. And it's not you anymore. He goes, oh, that's so good news. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but something else. We have a new life source. Christ lives in me. My life source is the person of Christ. Not far removed from me. Not just a song we sing, but a reality we can enjoy and experience every moment of every day. Christ lives in me. He's resident in me. In fact, Christ is now my life. I had an old life in Adam. I have a new life in Christ. I'm not the same anymore. I have been changed. I don't need to keep begging God, oh Lord, change me. So for 10 years, I kept saying, Lord, change me. Lord, change this. Lord, change that. Boy, I had a temper. Lord, get rid of that temper. I I just suddenly, I didn't like the way things were going. I mean, I'd just say what for, you know, <laughs> and, and demonstrate my upsetness, my, my frustration, whatever. No, I don't need to be concerned about that. The person with a temper, that's who I am in Adam, and that's what I am in the energy of the flesh. But by the Spirit, I can live out of Christ's life as my life. And He's gentle and kind. He's peaceful. He's a gentle shepherd. And His peace keeps me settled. So that, of course, things happen in my life and to me and around me that I don't like, I don't agree with. 
but the anger of, is your flesh trying to fight to overcome. The anger is your flesh trying to fix somebody or something. But by the Spirit, you have a settled peace. Lord, you've got this. Lord, you're in me. Lord, you're in control of me. And you will take care of me. And whatever it is that pertains to me, you will do it. Because that's his job. That's who he is. And he delights in doing that. That's why he came into us. So he could take care of the stuff. Because you and I in our frail humanity, and we still are living in an earthen vessel. No change there. It's the inside that's changed, our spirit. But that earthen vessel is still flawed and limited. But we don't have to fix up and patch up the flesh. We just let him live through in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of all of our limitations. It's not a weakness or a limitation for him. In fact, your weaknesses and limitations are those good reminders that the Lord is the strength of your life and that you're now strong in him and in the power of his might. So, yes, crucified, yet I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ is my life. And the life I now live, see, we get to live. We are living, but we're living by the life of another. We're living by the strength of another. We're living by the power of another. And that other is Christ himself, by his spirit resident in us. So we live. It's the life I now live. And the beauty of the Christ life is it's so natural. It's so spontaneous. We don't have to try to figure it out. We don't have to try to work it out. We just relax. We cease from our efforts, our fleshly activities, and we rest in Him. We just rest in Him. There was a, a lady that I met in Mexico, and she had tried so hard to live up to her father's expectations. He was a pastor, and um, she was so determined to be just the perfect daughter, and she had a beautiful heart to, to honor her father, and it was such a precious thing to see her as she did. But what happened was, as this was going on, she, um, she just, she wasn't clear about how to go forward with her life. And then I was able to explain to her you don't have to try to be perfect. In fact, you never are going to be perfect or achieve perfection. But you can rest in the perfect one, Jesus Christ, and let him perform his good and perfect works in and through you. And that means you've got to give up. You've got to let go. You've got to surrender. People don't like that. Because we as humans... We think we've got to be in control. In fact, we want to be in control. We, more than anything else, feel like if I'm not in control, as bad as it is now, it could only get worse. Now, I was one of those people. So that's, that was my thinking. So when this, this one brother was trying to explain to me about giving up and surrender and letting the Lord take control, I kept thinking, but my life's a mess already. I've been working so hard, reading the Bible, praying, memorizing scripture, going to church, doing all the right stuff. And I'm still barely hanging on. And if I let go, well, it's all going to fall apart. But then the Spirit said, oh, no. If you let go, then I can take you and make you what I want you to be, and it'll all come together. You see, giving up control, surrendering to the Lord, 
is the best thing you could ever do. Because suddenly, Galatians 2.20 becomes a reality. Not just a theory, not just the facts in this wonderful book, the Bible, but it becomes a reality. Suddenly, it's true about you. Yes, I am crucified with Christ, and I'm experiencing the crucified life. And yet, I'm living. But it's not really my old effort to try to make it happen by my human strength, the flesh. But it is, in fact... Christ, who is now my life, simply living his life through me. So when you give up and surrender, you're really just saying, Lord Jesus, I let go and I release to you my life. Now, Lord, you just be yourself in me and live your life through me. Wow, the Christian life is so simple, yet we often make it so difficult When I used to teach youth, I would tell them, you know, you study science and you study math and you study physics and you study biology. And and yet when you look at Christianity, you sort of take the same view of things and it becomes like a technical science. And the problem with that is it gets more and more involved and more and more complicated as you go along. So there's never an end in sight. It's just more and more of the more complicated, frustrating, perplexing things in your life. And you can't ever quite master it until you let go and surrender to the master. (laughs) That's why Jesus is the master. They called him master. You know, they didn't even realize when they were in that ship that he was the master. I mean, they called him good master, but they meant like he was a good teacher. Wow, Lord, you teach a great sermon on the mount. Wow, you're amazing when it comes to, to expounding these parables. But we're the master of our lives. And so we're the master of the ship. But see, God wants us to look at life a different way. I just realized we say God's in control. He really is. We say God created all this. He certainly did. And that means he made me. And if he made me, he knows how to fix me. So wherever it is that I need to be fixed, he'll take care of it. And my privilege is to stop trying to fix myself. Stop trying to improve on God because he's already given me the best in Christ. And he says, you don't have to try to be any better. I've already made you the best that you can be. In Colossians 2.10, he used the word complete in Christ. Complete means finished product, the best that you can be. We're trying to become better and better and better, but what we're doing is trying to perfect the flesh. And yet he says he will perfect that which concerns us. That's his department. That's his specialty. He, remember, is the master. He's the best there is, and he will take care of it if we'll just let go. Just give up. Just surrender. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, loved me, loved me. Oh my. Think about it. We sing, yes, Jesus loves me. We talk about it, but he really does. Sometimes we need to go back to the most simple elements of the gospel. Jesus Christ loves me. And he proved it. He gave his life for me. God the Father loves me, and he proved it. He gave his son. He gave me the very best. Wow, that is love. Parents like to do things for their kids. Luciano, my brother here, he's got a list of stuff. Each of his kids wants something to bring back from his trip to America. And as parents, we're going to do it if we possibly can because we love our kids. When... uh, when my son Aaron was about to have his fourth birthday, I was scheduled to return home on the day of his birthday. But the plans of our trip changed and they said we would have to come home a day later. 
So I, before I left home, I got down with my son who was four years old, you know, kind of small. And I said, now, Aaron, daddy has to be gone on this conference and I won't be home for your birthday. You know, a kid gets kind of a sad look, you know, dad's not going to be home for a birthday. I said, but I'll be home the next day. And then, by faith, <laughs> we're going to have a really big party and we're going to have a great time to celebrate your birthday. Just be one day late. Okay. So I said, but what would you like for your birthday? Is there anything special you want? He thought a minute. Dad, I want a really big gift. I mean, I want a really big gift. Whatever it is, I want it to be big. Hmm, okay, tall order, but not too hard for the Lord. So, I, of course, I consulted my Heavenly Father, and we had a talk, and I said, Okay, Lord, I pray, as I have always prayed, that my children would never feel slighted because I have a faith ministry and I travel around as a missionary. So, I'm asking you to bless my son with whatever this really big gift that would make his day for his birthday. Went off in the conference, got the last day where we had agreed to stay over for this special meeting with all the churches in this particular city in Kansas. After the conference, or as it was beginning, actually, they, the man in charge, the MC or whatever, that pastor got up and announced that we had agreed to stay one extra day for this group gathering of all these churches where we had been for meetings in the past. And he said, now, but you need to know that Louis Gregory had to miss his son's birthday tonight because he's here with us instead. And there was a man who owned a tractor business, and he owned, his company, it was an implement company, and they had all the tractor equipment and whatever. And so he came up, and he said, that really touched me, that you cared enough about us in this small community that you would stay here for us and miss your son's birthday. He said, but I'm also sad that your son gets to miss his dad on the birthday. He said, I don't keep a lot of cash. And he pulls out his wallet and gave me some cash. I don't know, maybe 50 or $75 cash, which back, we're talking 19, what would it have been, 70, I don't know, whatever it was, 81, 80, I don't know. So whenever it was, it was way back. So gave me the cash. He said, hey, I have an idea. He said, no. I want you to, first of all, use the money to give him a really big party. I want it to be very nice. So use the money and give him a nice party. But then he said, but does your son like toy tractors? I said, well, I don't know. He's never had one. He said, come with me. He says, get in the car. Let's go. And he drove me down to his business, unlocked the door. We went inside. He said, now, here's all the tractors that I sell. But over in this section, we have toy tractors for children that their farmer fathers and mothers. And so they want toys that look like their dad's tractor or their mom's tractor. So he took me over and we started looking and he had his one and his one. Take this, take this. And so he gave me these three and they're all made out of cast iron. They're little things and they're pretty cool looking. But he said, now you can have any of these you want. Take as much as you want. Just take it home. I want him to have a really good birthday. So I looked over here. <laughs> and there was this big riding tractor out of cast iron. At the time, the price tag was $90. I would guess it could be 500 today. Of course, they don't even make them like that. They make them out of plastic. Now, you know how that goes. I looked at that big one, and I said, you know, my son said he wanted a really big gift. He said, well, if you can get that in your vehicle, you can have it. <laughs> so 
We came home, my wife Lou and I, we put it in a cardboard box, we wrapped it in a newspaper because we didn't have wrapping paper and we weren't about to spend our money on wrapping paper, so we wrapped it in a newspaper, <laughs> got it all wrapped up. He came out for the birthday the next morning and he looked and there's this big box with this big writing director inside. And he saw that and he goes, wow, daddy, he's so excited, you know, he's happy, he's all up and down and jumping around, tearing into his box, you know. And he got out the tractor and he sat down on that tractor, he starts to ride it and he's leaning way back. You know how guys like to do when they're wanting to be cool. <laughs> he's already got it. So he's leaning back on his tractor, holding his wheel and driving, you know, and just living the life. This is our loving Heavenly Father. This is the simplicity. This is why the message of the gospel is critical. It draws us into the loop where we become part of the inner circle with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And we're there in the heavenly places with him. And we're now able to enjoy his life, experience his presence. We're now able to experience his power and the difference he makes. And suddenly we see God at work. We put our faith in Christ. He exercises his faith through us and he does the work. We enjoy the ride.